Well, Karen and Laura, wherever you may be, thank you uh, for sharing your story. That was filmed a, a while ago, long before this message was crafted. And yet, as we will make our way through the text today, it's stunning to me the, the various ways in which what you shared um, is revealed in the scriptures. Uh, today, we are part two of a very much two-part series, um, and we're looking at life together life together. Some of you may recognize Life Together as a book. There was a book written a number of years ago called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's one of the most classic books on community. And uh, many of you, if you don't know that book, you may have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's one of the most influential Christians in the last century um, and for what he's done in this world. Um, He's, he's so influential for his, his thinking and his leadership in the church. Um, when all kinds of people were fleeing from Germany during World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer fled to Germany and went deeper in his faith and in his commitment to Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany during this time period in history began an underground seminary that was an intentional Christian community that was formed around Jesus and dedicated to his teachings. Uh, it was all about how do we follow Jesus in this time. And that community, that underground seminary, formed the work for life together and his book, The Cost of Discipleship. When Bonhoeffer's friends and other Christians began to hear what, what he was doing and what he was teaching and what they were practicing as a community, they started to question him. Bonhoeffer's friends are coming to him saying, what's the point of this? You know they're going to take you. Why are you risking your life in this way? Is it really worth it? And they were challenging him saying, what are you doing, Dietrich? One friend in particular went to, went to Dietrich and he was like, you are being way too spiritual. You gotta stop this. And Bonhoeffer, in response, says, come with me for a field trip. So they hopped in a boat, and they rowed down a river to a place called Odor Sound. When they got to Odor Sound, they got out of the boat, and they climbed up on this hill. And at the top of this hill, there was this clearing. And as uh, they get to this clearing, Bonhoeffer's like, look down there. And off in the distance, they could see a German squadron training for World War II, so many of them that they looked like ants in formation. And there was German planes taking off and landing, practicing their tactics for the war. And Bonhoeffer said to his friend, there is a generation of our fellow citizens that are being trained for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. And he said, it is necessary to have a community of superior formation if the Nazis were ever to be defeated. What a line. A community of superior formation. Basically what he was saying is the church, us, we have to be stronger than that. Bonhoeffer was a man who was fully aware of the world around him and passionately committed to Jesus and he had a conviction that our commitment to Christ must 
win out over and against the cultural compromise of the world around him. And he was convinced that this happens in community. It happens when we do life together. Discipleship must win against the pull to worldly devotion. It's Bonhoeffer's message. And it's every bit as true for us today as it was then. So how do we, right now, in this time, in this place, in this culture, embody our life together? How do we be devoted to our formation? How does God enter our lives, but then go out through our lives? That's what this series is all about. And that's what we're looking at today. Life together. Like I said, today is part two of a very much two-part series. So uh, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for saying this, Pastor Corey, to our online community. But if you're online, you can go back last week, watch that, and then you can watch this. It'll still be uh, online. If you're in the room, a um, little bit tougher luck. Um, but you can watch it afterwards and be like, oh, that makes sense in a new kind of way. Um, but the cheat sheet from last week is this. Jesus pursues all of us. And he finds us wherever we may be. He breaks through in our lives and he gives us peace and offers us a new way to live. That's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is. But that's only half the story. That's only half the story because this God who meets us also joins us together and he sends us out to the world around us. And that's what we're looking at today. How do we do life together in a meaningful way? So as we jump into the text for today, I want to, I want to show all of us a before and after picture, a, a word picture, before and after of the church. The before picture is from the day that Jesus was resurrected. John 20, verse 19, it says this. The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Okay, that's familiar if you were here last week. By the way, if you were here last week, 100% attendance still going on. Way to go. Um, the disciples before, on the day Jesus was resurrected, they were gathered, but they were scared with the doors locked that group of disciples would have been voted the least likely group of people to lead a world-shaking revolution. However, that group of a dozen or so believers locked away for fear in a few short weeks would grow to 5,000 people. To put that in perspective, it's the worship and tech team growing to double this room with every seat full by spring. Here's the after picture. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now that's life together. I'm interested in that for our community here. It's tempting to look at the after picture saying, this is what we can be. But, but, and, and we're going to look at Acts in a couple of months' time. But today, what I'm most interested in is what happened between those. They were scared. They were locked away. The worship and tech team hiding in a back room. And seven weeks from now, this room, every seat full, two times over, plus some overflow. Growing daily. What happened in between? Well, let's read. John 20, verse 19. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Anyone having deja vu? Hey, wait, that sounds familiar. It should sound familiar. It's what we looked at last week, the same passage. But here's the beauty of scripture. There is always so much more. Always so much more. A little insider info to, to my life. Like one of the most difficult parts of preaching and crafting a sermon is deciding what gets cut out. What doesn't make it on a, on, on a weekend together? But when we do a two-part series on the same passage, less gets left out. So that's really fun uh, for me because we get to go uh, a step deeper. And as a result, hopefully, all of us will go a step further in our following of Jesus. You ready for that? All right, here's the big idea for us all today. This passage that I just read, John 20, verses 19 to 23, is the best word picture of what the church is meant to be. It reveals God's intention for how we live and how our discipleship can, in fact, win out against the broader cultural formation of our world. A cultural formation we are also steeped in, by the way. And I hope as we make our way through this passage, that it will provide clarity for us all, encouragement for us all, and that it will challenge every single one of us for how we live life together and how life together is meant to be experienced. So let's jump into that. The first thing we read, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. Like we talked about last week, the first thing we see is at the very beginning, Jesus is at the center of it all. Full stop. The center of it all. The center of our gatherings. The center of our lives. The center of our lives together. 
Jesus appears and he gives peace to a group of people that are full of fear. Can you think about how relevant that is for the world we live in? There are so many people, so many of us that are living fear-filled lives locked away, dominated by fears and worries and anxieties way too often. Look, fear is real. We all have fear. We all experience fear. But fear is always a secondary emotion. Fear is always a responsive emotion. Because underlying our fear is always something, whether that be worry or vulnerability or pain or insecurity. Our fear is always in relation to something else. These disciples are fearfully gathered. Why? Because they were scared of the leaders and what the leaders would do to them. Obviously, they had failed. They had done the thing they said they weren't going to do. They betrayed their best friend in their hour of need. And then Jesus appears. He gives peace. That's last week's talk. But what I want us to notice is what he does next. As resurrected Lord Jesus, he appears, he extends his peace, and immediately after that we read that he shows them his hands and his scars. He shows them the wounds from the cross. How powerful is that? For a lot of reasons. First, the resurrected Lord Jesus still has scars. His body is perfected, but the scars are still there. Signs of what he endured. Signs of his victory. Signs that he fully participated in our human experience. Signs that scars are not imperfections. Take that, beauty marketing campaigns. (laughs) Jesus appears and he shows his wounds. And it is so beautiful to me that at the very first picture of the church gathering is a vulnerable display of the marks of suffering and the signs of pain with a safe group of people. That is to be a defining characteristic of our lives together. Our life together is to be one where we vulnerably share our scars and the signs of pain and the things that we've gone through that that demonstrate our humanity to each other. Brene Brown talks about how every person on the planet wants vulnerability, but no one ever wants to go first because it's hard and it's scary and we don't know what might follow. She also says that vulnerability is the key way of creating meaningful bonds for life together. And so I just want all of us to notice that our Lord Jesus has already gone first. He's already gone first, which means our ability, our capacity, our courage to vulnerably share our lives, our pains, 
our scars, our wounds in our life together is following Jesus and following his example. Life for those who center their lives on Jesus is characterized by vulnerability, honesty, truth-telling, and sharing together. Now, we don't know how long Jesus showed his scars for, or his side, his wounds, but what we, his former wounds, but what we do know is that eventually the room of fear turned to joy. I can imagine Jesus showing and telling and explaining and teaching to his disciples what these scars mean, teaching them and showing them that though the world may crush you, love will always overcome. Showing them that death no longer has the final say. Showing them that he was fully human, but he's fully back and he will never leave them again. And I can imagine as that reality sunk in for their disciples, as it, as it sunk in for them, they were like, wait, 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 we don't, we, don't, we don't need to be scared. And the text says, John 20 says, their fear and their grief dissolved to pure joy, an overflowing joy, because they saw and they felt and they now understood that their failures were never fatal because of Jesus. And that's true for us too. Our failures are never fatal with Jesus. There was a brand new way of living. Just as Jesus had resurrected, there was a new way of living. And so Jesus then moves to explaining to them how, how do we live this new way of living? It, it looks a lot like this. And Jesus says it this way, John 20, 21. It says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's the new way of living for those who center their lives on Jesus. And so I want to ask you what, what I think is a very interesting question. You might disagree with me, but I think it's really interesting. Have you ever thought about what God was doing before creation? Have you ever thought about that? I went to some staff members this week. I was walking around the office, and, and I just started to ask them. And some of them, and when I asked them, were like, what? No. Some of them were like, actually, I have. Um, some thought that, you know, in the isolation of my study that I was losing my sanity. There are occupational hazards to working with me, friends. Um, but have you ever wondered, what was God doing before creation? You know, we know God has always existed, which means he existed before the world did, before we did. Now, I know some of you think, like, you're getting too weirdly philosophical for me. Like, what are you doing? You're losing me. Some of you are like, finally, this is the stuff I'm here for. I think the question matters, though. I think it matters a lot. And here's why I ask. Because before creation, before this world existed, God was still God. Which means... God doesn't need this world or creation or people to be God. 
Okay, follow, follow with me here. God ex- existed before any of the stuff we inhabit did, which means God doesn't need to be in authoritative, ruling, commanding capacity to be God. He doesn't need to be bossing around creation to be God. Jesus says in John 17, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world, which means there was a loving relationship that existed before this world did. There was this familial love, this community of love, this relationship of love where God was known and God was God before this world existed, which means at the center of creation, the white hot center of creation is a loving and giving relationship. All of this world, all of this experience of humanity is from love. This world was created out of the overflow of love. This world and our lives, we weren't just created because God needed this to boss around to be God. God did not create this world to be in charge, to supervise, or to command, but to love, to increase his love, to serve, to join in relationship with his creation. All of this, all of this world is an overflow and extension of love. So when Jesus says, as I was sent, you are sent, That means we are sent from love, for love, and to love. What this means as Christians is we are not sent to the world to command or be in charge or to rule or to boss around people. We are sent to the world to love, to serve, to give up our privilege to empower and care for other people, to live deeply ingrained in our communities and to love the people around us. We are sent as Jesus was sent, from love for love to love. 43 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is referred to by his sentness as the sent one. 43 times. And now in John 20, at the very end of the gospel, he is saying, in the same way, the same shape, the same form that I was sent, you are now the sent ones. It's your turn. Can you imagine the disciples hearing that? Imagine the disciples playing back the tape on the last couple of years, picturing it, thinking through, hey, Jesus pursued me on the beach. He said I'd be a fisher of men. He he called me to himself. We saw him get baptized. We, we saw him party at a wedding. That was awesome. We saw him walking on water, teaching us to pray, feeding the 5,000, healing the broken, serving the poor, caring for the needy, healing the hurt, laughing, crying, overwhelmed, sleeping, napping. We saw him alone. We saw him suffering. And now Jesus is saying everything he did for us we are now sent to go and do. Think through that very moment. They're like, wait, Jesus just broke through our pain 
and our fear and appeared in our midst, extending us peace, being vulnerable with us. And now he's saying, that's what you are to do to this world. Go and break through to the people in your world that are locked away for fear, hurting and broken. Give them peace. Vulnerably share with them. That's what I'm here to do. Now you go. Go and give what you have just been given. Pass it on. And I can picture the disciples saying, and well, I can picture the disciples as they come to terms with what this means, gr- grasping onto what this will call them to and replying to Jesus saying, ah, Jesus, there's no way we can do that. There's no chance. We're not you. We can't do this. We can't go. Which is why we read this. Next, Jesus saying, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I spent a good amount of time on that passage last week, explaining the weirdness of that passage, speaking of memory scars. I'm just kidding, kidding. Um, But how that passage represents that God has recreated his people, offered a new way to live. But that passage also represents the promise that God will never leave or forsake his people, that his spirit is with his people everywhere they go. That is the fulfillment of the promise when Jesus says in John 16, verse 7, it's for your advantage that I go away because if I do not leave, you will not receive the Spirit to be with you everywhere. One author said, it's better to have God inside than Jesus beside because God is with all of us everywhere, everywhere we go. When Jesus sends the church out in that moment, with the Holy Spirit upon and within their lives. It's a promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never forget us and he is always with us. The Holy Spirit has been sent to each and every person who has centered their life on Jesus. So if you have centered your life on Jesus, you have received the Spirit to guide you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to convict you, to empower you, to care for others, to help you see Jesus everywhere you go and to help form Jesus in your life everywhere you go. To enable us to represent God everywhere. Beautifully articulated by Dr. Ross Hastings when he said, this means that we do not do missions for Jesus but with Jesus. Do you know that you have been gifted from God to serve the people in your world? Do you know what your gift is? Some people here know precisely what their gift is. Helping or admin, wisdom, mercy. But a bunch of us probably don't know what gift God has given you to serve. And I would just like to lovingly say to you, you're missing out on an amazing opportunity to join God in changing lives 
in what can appear to be a miraculous way. About the gifts of the Spirit, church, I don't want us to be uninformed. The gifts of the Spirit have been given for the common good. To some wisdom or knowledge, to some faith or healing, to some miraculous powers, to some prophecy, some can discern between spirits. Some have received speaking in tongues, some have received interpreting tongues. These are all gifts from the Holy Spirit that God offers to us to go to the people around us to build up the church, to build up our life together. And I imagine that there is people in the room right now that have been given a personalized, loving gift from God that has never been opened. You know, look, Christmas wasn't that long ago. All of my gifts have been opened in the Trigg family. Our kids have been playing with them and using them. Some of them are already broken and done away with. <laughs> Maybe that's similar for you. But I wonder, in this room, if God has given some spiritual gifts to some of us in the last weeks, months, years, or decades that haven't been opened. Wondering if that's you? The best way to discover what gifts God has given you is to get involved in life together. Get connected in a deep way in community. Gifts were given to build up God's people. So start doing that. Join in the fun. Join in a, in a community group or a place where you can start to build up and you'll start to see, hey, that was really easy for me. And someone's like, how do you do that? Well, it's easy. Maybe it's like, I did not like that. That was awful. And everything went worse. It's probably not your gift. But start joining in a community somewhere. This moment that we just made our way through this was the in-between moment from the before and the after that enabled the worship and tech team to grow to 5,000 people. And FAC, if we have any hope of this, our life together being stronger than that, what happens out there, of seeing new people come to faith, of seeing this next generation grow to know and love and serve and follow Jesus, of having our formation be deeper than the cultural formation of the world around us, we have to learn to live into this picture. It's the only hope we have. Gathering together, centering our lives on Jesus, experiencing his peace, extending his peace, living vulnerably in our lives, empowered by the Spirit, going out to the world around us together. That's the only hope. That's the picture of how, of how life together can confront and combat the cultural formation of the world around us. That's what we're meant to do with our lives together. I think a lot of these things can be characteristic of how we already gather at FAC. 
You know, I, I hope as we gather here on a weekend that, that it's pretty clear everything's about Jesus here. I hope that's, that's the truth of every single thing that's done here. It's centered on Jesus. And I hope we can experience peace that when you walk in here, maybe for the first time, that it's like, hey, this feels peaceful. This feels a little different. I hope that's the case. I, I, I hope that we can experience that. And I hope we can be vulnerable. You know, I have the privilege of being able to say, I know every person that has preached on this stage in the last four and a half years. Every one of them. And I know their lives off this stage or on stage. And I, I can tell you, they live vulnerably in community. Every one of them. There's a vulnerability in their lives with the people in their lives. I think there's also joy in this house. I think there's purpose here. I think the Spirit of God moves in our gatherings in so many ways. I've experienced that. I hope you've experienced that. There's forgiveness that's been proclaimed here and experienced here. But a conviction that I have and a conviction that all of us as, as the corporate FAC has is that the most true and accurate way for us to intentionally live life together is to be connected to each other. Making a really big room, we, we, we would say turning rows into circles where we do life together because every single person in this room has a spiritual gift to use. Everyone. And they're not all being used right now. So we need to do life together to use these together, to serve one another, to reach the world by being connected to each other. So I want to end by making this really personal for each and every one of us. Every one of us who follows Jesus. Because if you've centered your life on Jesus, you're called you're gifted, and you're invited to do life together. And this is especially for you if you feel like you don't have much to offer or if you're not involved in life together yet. A few decades after John 20 was written, Paul would write these words to the church in Philippi. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. All right, if you have any encouragement from Christ, any comfort from his love, any sharing in the spirit, any tenderness or compassion, then care for each other. Live together. Care for each other. Connect together. In other words, go with what you got. Go with what you got. You may not have a lot, but do you have any? You're like, ah, I don't know the Bible that well. Do you know one word in the Bible? That classifies as any. You're like, ah, I don't know much about the Bible. I don't really have much, you know, sharing in the spirit. Do you have any compassion in your heart for anything? Like anything. Because that classifies. If you have anything, go with what you got. Go with what you got. 
because you are sent just as Jesus was sent. So where do we go? Here's the beautiful reality for our life together. The Jesus at the center of all of this is focused on those at the margins. The one at the center of our gatherings is concerned about the margins. So yes, we gather and we worship, we celebrate, we remember, we mourn, we grieve together, but we go out and we go everywhere to all corners of our world. If you have anything to offer, and it's not much, if you got anything, then you're invited to go. So here's the action item. You're going to notice on your way out, there's tables all over Main Street. And there are all kinds of community opportunities. There's special interest groups. There's hobbies. There's tables for life together. There's tables for singles, tables for married, tables for divorce care, mental health. There's small groups for men and for women. There's short-term groups. There's location-centric groups. There's fly-fishing groups. There are all, there's celebrate recovery. There's sex addiction groups. There are groups for everything you could possibly imagine. And so your action item is to walk out, walk along those tables, and to see where God might be inviting you to go. Now, you might have this experience. You might go out there, walk along Main Street, and not a single table grabs your attention. You might be tempted to go like, whoo, I'm off the hook. (laughs) What that means is you're supposed to start one. Okay? With whatever hobby you have. Because I guarantee you, whatever your hobby is, no matter how unique it might be, you're not the only one in the world that has it. And so whoever else has that hobby, whoever else has that special interest group, I want them to know Jesus too. And we want Jesus to know them too. So your action item, go and walk. See God might be inviting you to go. You may not feel like you have much, but do you have anything? Because you might appear in a group in a week or a month, and for someone who's there right now, it might feel like you just supernaturally, magically appeared in their fear-filled locked group. But you know how you got there. What do you do when you show up? Peace. I'll tell you my story share with you my life. Let's talk about Jesus. It might be a special interest group, a small group. It might be in the neighborhood that you're sitting in right now. I know God has a plan for each and every one of us. So as we continue in our worship, like last week, I extend the words of Jesus to each and every one of you all. Peace be with you, church. As Jesus was sent to each and to every one of us, so we are sent to go to the world together. Peace be with you.